Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My guest today is Dr. Will O'Connor, a running scientist and coach at drwilloconnor.com. He completed his PhD in sport and exercise science at Massey University, where his research investigated metabolic flexibility and ketogenic diets in ultra-endurance performance. Dr. O'Connor lives in New Zealand and competes in ultra-running events and has been a big advocate for the growth of running power meters. He coaches runners and triathletes around the world and discusses all aspects of sports science on his Performance Advantage podcast. I hope you enjoy the show and learn a few more things about running with power and how it can make you a faster runner. All right, on the show with me today is Dr. Will O'Connor, who's joining us from, I believe, down in New Zealand. Uh, is that correct? Yep, Rotorua, New Zealand, where it is the middle of winter. Yeah, nice. Well, opposite here in Colorado, crazy hot. We're getting our rain, but I, I bet you're getting rain down there, huh? Yeah, you might actually hear some of it on the roof. Uh, it's it's <laughs> a, uh, not one of the best days today, but yeah, I've been, we were really hoping to get to Colorado this year we went to my wife and I a few years ago mm. and absolutely loved it and uh and our kind of long-term plan we're like oh yeah we'll go back in a in a few years and uh yeah. but you know international travel is not really happening right now yeah it's probably it's definitely tough to get into New Zealand or Australia I'm not sure about getting out but getting in the states is tough so uh what'd you do in Colorado Oh, I was um, a coaching an athlete. It was a Kiwi uh, Xterra athlete, Karen McPherson, and okay. we were just uh, having a holiday. Really, he he bases himself uh, in Fort Collins over the, oh, yeah. um, I guess, our winter. You know, the main season, summer season, uh, yeah. in in the US. And yeah, we were just coming over for a holiday, so cruised around Colorado Springs, Fort Collins, uh, Boulder, and uh, just just trained really. Super uh, cool. Nice. Oh, I actually, in- we went to Snowmass. Another friend of ours was competing in the EWS, the mountain bike, Enduro uh, Mountain Bike World Series. Um, super. Yeah, going yeah. straight there and going straight to altitude from <laughs> a life at sea level uh, was was an experience. <laughs> well, I love all that. I grew up in Fort Collins, so certainly a great place. And uh, yeah, that's, you got a good taste of Colorado. Awesome. So, so you, tell us about your career and how it's progressed. And you have a PhD in sports science and now you're coaching runners and, you know, tell us about how all that kind of came to fruition. Oh man, it's been a journey. Uh, so, well, I actually, so I turn, uh, 33 tomorrow. Ah, um, birthday. Yeah. Thanks. And yeah, I started in endurance sports, uh, when I was 20, when I was at university, I was doing, I was actually doing engineering and, uh, yeah, at the time I was um, playing playing rugby, which is the national sport of New Zealand, and uh, it has a big big drinking culture. Um, <laughs> and I'd played; I was I was good. I was quite a good player, competitive. Good at drinking? Yeah, I was. I was definitely, you know, <laughs> living in the halls of residence at a university and being a 
the captain of my rugby team definitely lent itself to uh, a few big nights. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of at the end of that year, I was like, I need a change. I want to, I want to change. I want to do something different. And uh, so when was that? That must have been around 2006, 2007. And so that was not long after Hamish Carter and Bevan Doherty won gold and silver at Athens Olympics. And in New Zealand, that was prime time. That was about 7 p.m. Mm. on uh, live free-to-view uh, national television. So everyone watched that happen. And it captured a nation and the sport. Uh, and from then on, I just wanted to do triathlon. Uh, I just had this affinity with it. And and yeah. so I did. I began um, began doing triathlon and started studying biochemistry. And that just... Uh, that, the fascination of the human body and uh, its performance and and everything just captured me over the next decade, really. And during that time, I met, um, I was just such a great group of people around my age I had training with in Christchurch in New Zealand. And so, you know, some of the people, uh, names you may be familiar with, uh, Mike Phillips, he's, he was a he still has the world record for the um, fastest debut Ironman, New Zealand Ironman champion a couple of years ago, second the last two years, Andrea Hewitt, um, you know, fourth of the Olympics and uh, world, you know, on the non-draft or the drafting yeah. ITU series, um, just a formidable force. And yeah, they're just all those people. And and from that, I yeah, got some good contacts and just had some great support and then started, yeah, started getting into just really wanting to continue to train and not wanting a job lends itself to postgraduate <laughs> study really well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, um, so I did try, I tried to go professional in triathlon, moved to the Gold Coast with a couple of friends and uh, worked for, serendipitously worked for Griffith University there um, just by trying to find some tutorial work. And uh that was in, yeah, the biochemistry of exercise science of all things. But I just fell in love with that whole process of the university and research and teaching and uh, while simultaneously chronically overtraining myself, trying to become a professional. Um, right, right. Falling into all those traps. I was always uh, being self-coached and uh, that's it's kind of as much as it's self-coaching, it's also self-experimenting mm. uh, with a lot of different concepts and principles uh, around physiology, training, diet. And uh, so when so when was that? 2011, 12, 12 I think. Um, I was, uh, yeah, in Australia, chronically overtraining, putting on a lot of weight, um, just really struggling with my diet as, for one thing. And that was when Tim Noakes was talking a lot about low carb and right. uh I had, uh, having an undergrad in biochemistry, I kind of, I said, this makes a lot of sense. And I remember doing the Atkins diet in class. And, uh, and so I, um, so I started trialing it and the results were significant for me. Like kind of, it wasn't overnight, but it was definitely within a month. I could, I, the fat was falling off me and I was feeling a lot better. I was performing better. <clears throat> and I thought, you know, there's something in this. And that was, uh, my supervisor, Professor Steve Stannard, he he did a lot of his research in fasting and Ramadan uh, oh. and performance, and so yeah. he was yeah perfectly placed placed to help me um, 
start my PhD, I got a scholarship. So that took care of three years of trying to find money. And uh, yeah, moved back to New Zealand, started my PhD in, in low carbohydrate sports performance. And uh, along that time, when you're in the lab and you're exposed to different science and technologies, uh, the likes of Matt Miller, who you've um, you know had on the show, we're going to have on the show and developing his braking software. And yep. yeah, that was where running power came about. Um, someone in the lab, uh, I, I don't know how it came about, but someone gave me the heart rate strap that Stride initially put out 2015 yeah. or so. And uh, yeah, my that was when I realized it helped to work with Matt, who's kind of a physicist in sports performance. And yeah, that opened, I was like, this is a game changer. You know, this is really going to be what power is to cycling and running. Um, right. And really fascinating to me is how slow it's been this last five years. And we're starting to get a bit of an uptick now, but still, you know, within this podcast, well, I'm going to explain to you why you should be using running power and, and how to get started and things. So we're still there, you know, and uh, that's a very long story short. <laughs> yeah. No, it's awesome, you know, and it's definitely slow to progress. But I think, you know, even if you look back, cycling power meters were slow to progress. But that was probably more of a price issue with with uh, power meters and cycling. I mean, the first was really SRM. We're talking $2,000, you know, the first. Yeah, $2,000 like 20 years ago. Exactly. So call it, you know, $4,000, you know, today's dollars. Um, that was probably the biggest issue then. And and now obviously running with power is, what are we talking? Three, two, $300? Yeah. Um, about $200 for the stride. And then if you're getting the, the Garmin uh, HRM run or HRM try heart rate strap, like um, that has integrated accelerometers, uh, you're maybe looking at a hundred dollars, maybe eighty. Um, yeah. And then now with Coros uh, and Polar, that's got the technology integrated just into the watch. So. Yeah, and so as you said, it's so it's it's coming down to one device. I mean, Stride has the foot pod, which you pair to, you know, a watch. Um, but really, you're talking like one one device for those who don't know what are the different ways that you can actually uh, what are the different pieces of hardware that you might end up buying well yeah there's really there's really only three you have it already built into your watch so there's just an algorithm incorporated in to use the accelerometer accelerometer technology so that is you know you've got stride um sorry it's going to be get confusing using the word stride and stride but uh, <laughs> step counters Right, right. Uh, the we all we all track um, just either intensely or just obs observationally how many steps we take per day. That's this. They're just using all the accelerometers that measure that dis that your displacement, your arm swing, and they're just uh, trying to run that through an algorithm to figure out. Okay, if you weigh this much and you're this tall and you're moving this fast, then you know you're um, you're putting out this much power. Uh, and then you get kind of, I guess we'll move through the accuracy standpoints. Then you have the okay. chest yeah. strap, which okay. is uh, Garmin. And that's your standard heart rate strap that we're all familiar with. And that just has uh, 
a better, I guess, positioning system. So it's very close to your center of mass. Uh, and so it has more accelerometers and can measure your displacement more accurately. Um, but then is still upper body, not lower body. Um, so it has no real idea what's happening at the lower limb. Right. Um, so that is then... Similarly, like it's still accelerometers measuring displacement feeding into an algorithm to get, uh, I guess, an estimation or approximation of the power output. And then you move down to the foot pod, which I would call the gold standard, and stride is that. And there's also run scribe, but run scribe, you can get an individual or dual foot pods for both shoes. And that's they're more centered around... Uh, like the sample rate's a lot faster and it's not so much running power, it's more running gate analysis. So Right. Yeah. And so, but all of it is really obviously all mathematics and it's an estimation. It's there's no there's no strain gauge like cycling power meter. So, you know, how is it really power? You know, it's it's all math. Are we gonna get the same number from all of the devices? Well, no, definitely not, and and you don't you don't for for cycling power either, uh, and so I the concept I use is runner dependent, rider independent, and so that uh, analogy is that I can jump on your bike and the strain gauge is going to measure my torque and angular velocity to figure out my power, you right. know, and then if you jump on your bike. Same thing happens. It's really wherever that strain gauge is, it's it's measuring how much force you're putting on the pedals, and and how fast they're rotating to give you the power output. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who's on your bike. That's going right. to be what happens. But if you clip on my stride power meter, and you you run off it, um, oh man, I'm on minutes per k here. So <laughs> go uh, ahead. <laughs> but anyway, let's just say six six minute miles, and. Uh, Immediately, our number our numbers don't correlate uh, because I've put in my height and my weight, uh, and you're going to weigh differently to me, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. potentially. And so, for you, for your force velocity um, powers force times velocity, that's going to it's going to be different. Your force is going to be different to translate to the velocity you're producing. Um, you know, the speed you're running. Um, right. So then your power number, and yes, what is that number? Is that metabolic power? Is that mechanical power? Um, is going to be different to to mine uh, just with the same device, even running the same speed. When we look at cycling power, we're getting the torque times angular velocity direct measurement. Um so we can rely on that as mechanical power and then correlate that to metabolic work. Uh, whereas when we're looking at running power, we're probably more looking at an estimation of metabolic power in terms right. of metabolic work. Uh, because what we're what we're really trying to determine is what is the cost now for you to run that six minute mile? You know, what what is that costing you? Um, right, because and what does that cost you in relation to your um, like power duration curve? Right, so that's a great way to look at it. You know, if we think about run power meters as like this metabolic gauge, and and not so much as a mechanical measurement like on a bike, 
And I love how you're talking about, you know, that metabolic cost to doing the six minute mile. First of all, I can't do a six minute mile, but, uh, um, you know, and, and we're measuring that cost, that metabolic, you know, it's a metabolic gauge, if you will. And so there's a lot of value in that in running. And so me coming from a cycling background, it's funny how, you know, a cyclist looks at power differently than how you as a scientist would look at run power. And you, you know, you need to sort of like train the athlete, like, no, it's not the same as the bike. Can you, do you know what I'm getting at? And, and how cyclists and runners kind of look at power differently? Yep. Because more is not better. And, right. Um, so when I, when I say that, I guess, what am I saying? I, if you we're doing a, a triathlon or, a, you know, any kind of distance based time trial, you just want to be able to put out more power at a lower uh, heart rate or energetic cost, you know? So you want to increase your threshold so that any percentage of that threshold is, is now, um, you know, a higher output, but the same cost. Whereas in, in running, you kind of, you kind you do want to increase your, your threshold and your power output, but you're also just trying to do more power can mean your running biomechanics are, are really bad. Right. You know, I could uh, I could become really inefficient because running power is, is kind of measuring a bit of efficiency as well. And that if I if you visualize yourself running and then you visualize yourself kind of bounding or skipping, the force you're applying on the ground is not translating to velocity. What right. it is translating into is just vertical Energy. displacement. Right. Uh, rather than horizontal displacement. So that's, you know, you moving forward. Those are the two, you know, the two planes that we're going to be moving in up and forward. And you have to move up to move forward. Otherwise, you are um, a race walker. <laughs> right, right. I could, yeah, put out way more power, but I could go way slower. And then yeah, likewise, I, yeah. I could put out less power and run faster if I, one, improve my economy um, just through biomechanics or if I put on some nike alpha flies <laughs> i never thought about that yeah you can you measure that difference is it getting down to that what four percent or so improvement just by adding the shoe oh hugely yeah i did uh i did a 10 10 kilometer tempo and yeah sorry i'm gonna use minutes per k here yeah yeah um but yeah i so i did well irrespective of the of the times um it was at a lower power. I'll have to, this is off the top of my head. It was around 13 watts lower for around right. four seconds per K faster um, wow. when I put the shoes on. So back to back. For a, ten, for a 10K? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, which, you know, that over 10K, that translates to about 30, 40 seconds. Yeah. And that was at a lower power. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, I think about like Kenyans running amazingly fast but looking so efficient and thinking wow they're putting they're barely putting out any watts you know like that's kind of like what i sense whereas you know someone else might be able to go the same pace you know obviously not for as long but if they try and maintain that pace they're gonna have a higher wattage output versus that world-class kenyan and so 
are you incorporating this sense of form and efficiency within the workouts? Do you prescribe workouts where, hey, focus on your form and see if you can actually maintain pace but have watts drop? Um, not yet. You know, like, I think that's, I have mentioned it to some people to, to monitor, but it's, yeah, you'd need to, you need to be on an athletics track or, um, something really constant for you to, you still got to look at your watch and every time you look at your watch, you throw your stride off a little bit. Um, so you can implement things like hill sprints or uh, tr- workout drills and then maybe just track it over the workout uh, or over time. Um, right, right. Once you have those facilities for people, um, I'll reference Matt with his braking um, hardware. So mm-hmm. he has the brake power meter and he developed this this hardware that he thought everyone should use similar to you know a cycling power meter or a running power meter but then without the software no one knows what to do with it right and and that's the big that's the big sticking point now i think is kind of everyone's like okay yeah cycling power amazing i get it um especially triathletes you know they love technology and they go running power cool i don't get it <laughs> right yeah and that's where the coach comes into play right now it's so key having an expert being being able to decipher you know collect the data maybe work with an expert that can help decipher it and then give you, you know, the right response back as to how, what to hone in on. Um, have you, I mean, if, are you familiar with our decoupling within training peaks for, you know, for cycling where it's, you know, heart rate versus power and over time, you know, you want to effectively at the same power, have a lower heart rate, you know, and as you get fitter, you can, maintain that power and your heart rate will come down, right? So you're getting getting fitter. Have you done any similar type of, uh, I guess, research or looking at data in terms of run power versus heart rate and that decoupling over time and being able to accurately you know, measure someone's aerobic efficiency uh, comparing heart rate and run power? Yeah, that's a, the decoupling's super helpful uh, for... You know, for most of the athletes I work with, they're looking at, yeah, Ironman, half Ironman, marathon, ultra marathon, uh, and I can say you need to run one hour or ten k's at, um, you know, zone three or zone four, or whatever. You know, ninety percent of your your threshold, and let's see what's happening. Let's see right. what that translates to. So I'd say here's your fixed variable, and and it's power and it's, um, you know, it's 90% of your threshold, go run that. What happens to heart rate and what happens to pace? Right. So over that one hour, we can say, look, you know, your heart rate, yeah, there's a big decoupling. It's like 10%. Um, there's a, a constant increase and it's it's um, it's crested kind of zone four even by the end of that hour. That's not sustainable in any way. And mm-hmm. we can also see that pace is actually 405. It's like all right, so we don't need to run that power output. Um, we can go a bit slower and we need to because of heart rate. So it's just this really valuable tool in the toolkit. First of all, yeah, thanks for structured workouts. Athletes love them over any device. <laughs> awesome. But with power, uh, so stride is the only one that does it. 
um, through Garmin. For athletes, they go, you know, I'll set it at zone two, so kind of 80, 75 to 90% area. Go run at that, the way you go. And uh, then it just beeps. There's no there's no heart rate, you know, there's no, there's no pace. So on any kind of hill or undulating run, which most people run on, right? There's, they're not going, okay, I need to be under seven minutes per mile because that means I'm fit and 7.15 means I'm unfit. And, and, uh, <laughs> oh, if my, if I go down a hill, my heart rate alert starts beeping at me and I, I have to sprint and there's none of that. It's just, this is your power output. This is like cycling. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I totally think about my workout I did today on the bike where luckily we have, you know, really long climbs here. They're not always a constant pitch, but I targeted, you know, the upper end of zone two for like an aerobic threshold workout. And I did a 90 minute climb, but I couldn't imagine having to focus on speed, you know, because I went from pavement to gravel, the pavement to 12% pitch down to 4% pitch. And, you know, like trying to focus a speed would have just been like, this makes no sense. And so if we bring that to running now, it's like, okay, here's my one number, no matter what the percent grade, you know, I'm just targeting this output. And that's a direct translation into, you know, the the metabolic zone I'm trying to improve here, you know, and, and have a constant lactate output instead of chasing a pace where your lactate might go up and down all the time. Um, yeah, it really kind of simplifies it. What I, what I also like is it kind of switches the focus. You know, if you think about pace, the focus is on the outcome. You know, I want to run a whatever 38 minute 10 K. Well, that's my target. Now I need to back into it with pace, but, but really it should be the opposite. It should be like, well, what's your objective fitness? What, what fitness do you currently have? And therefore objectively, what can we then project out for you, your finish time to be, and in what power is that? So it really kind of flips the focus, which I really have always, you know, that that's attractive as well. That's right. When you think about uh, your your local weekly time trial, cycling time trial, no one finishes first right. off looking at their time. They go, yes, new PB power. All right. Awesome. And that rightly or wrongly, you know, I, I coached a few the high school teams and they go, oh yeah, I did the best power. And I was like, yeah, but like you still need it. It's with a time trial or a triathlon, you know, it, it's still the fastest start to finish. Uh, that is right. most important. Aerodynamics is yeah. going to count. Uh, and so, um, but yeah, at, if we're doing, um, so I'm not sure you have much of them in, and the U.S. park run is a weekly 5K run every Saturday. Definitely know of them. We don't have many in the States. No. But, but you know, a lot of you have your, your three-mile or your turkey trot or something like that, mm -hmm. and it's time, right? Marathon time. Every running distance outside of ultras and trail races is time. What what time did you do? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're doing a 10K, what's, what barrier or marathon, what barrier are you trying to break? Is it 40 minutes, 45, 35, 30 minutes? Yeah. Um, it's not, are you trying to hold 97% because of your threshold? Or are you trying to improve your threshold? You're trying to get above 400 watts for 30 minutes. Uh, and that dynamic will definitely change. Um, and it's, it's also creating, for me as a coach, like a far better comparison tool because 
yeah, there's no no roads or trails are created equal. You know, we should touch on normalized graded pace. Yeah, right, uh, right. As well. And you could, I don't know if, how much you know about it, but I, because I kind of struggled to find some of the science behind what it's doing. So normalized graded pace uh, is is similarized to normalized power, right? Where you, you're kind of trying to smooth, smooth the data. Right. If you are going up a hill at a certain pace, what is the equivalent output if it were flat? Yeah. Is really what normalized graded pace is. So I'd, I'd imagine if you maintain a constant power in an undulating course, normalized graded pace would be very even. Like that number would be a very kind of constant. The variable would be less. It should be. I wrote an article on my website. Uh, it's just an introduction to running power or something. And I said, we've got our two other measurements that we're using at the moment. Heart rate, which is the dial-up broadband of metrics. And then right. I said, and then GPS, a measurement from space. What I meant by that with um, heart rate being the dial-up broadband of metrics, you know, you talked about doing your 90-minute, you know, upper zone two. Well, if for two minutes there was a, a short, you know, super steep pinch and you really, really punched it and you were just looking at heart rate, your heart rate might not really respond. Um, right. And then more so if you were doing two-minute, you know, zone five right. intervals with, a, say, a three- or four-minute rest period in between, you're going to start at 120 beats and then by the end of that two minutes you might be at 150, but your goal is zone five, you know, right. which is 180. You're like, oh, I can't get there. <laughs> yeah, poor measurement. And then pace being, yeah, a measurement from space. Well, if you've got tall buildings, if you're within the trees, um, you know, if if the GPS is slightly off, which they are, they're not 100% accurate, despite the amount of complaints, you know, people put in after a race that's 200 meters long uh, right. <laughs> on their watch or short, Um yeah, it's it's easy for for a GPS to be wrong, like um, for it to be two to four percent out. Which, when you're trying to run at threshold, or you know, stay under a certain output on a hill, um, they can they can have significant impact. And right. and that's where so normalized graded pace is what we have at the moment. It's, if you don't have a running power meter and you can look at it, or if you're on Strava, there's gap. They love that because it just says, you know, I actually ran this fast. Um, <laughs> and But still that is, you know, you have the margin of error within the measurement device, which is the GPS, and then you right. have the margin of error within the calculation. Yeah, and the normalized grade pace has limits to it. It's not going to work on a super steep um, trail where you're hiking. You know, there's absolutely some limitations to normalized graded pace. Is there the same with power? By the way, it, is there a limitation yeah. in terms of like hiking too slow, too low of RPM, too steep of a grade? Yeah. So essentially what, because it's, um, like you said, it's math based, it's the algorithm. It's, it uses, or oh, I have to remember six or nine axis accelerometer when we're talking about a stride. Um, I think it's about six in the heart rate strap, uh, measures the displacement and it models that displacement against a running gait. You know, mm, right, so, right. So you can model it's the assumption. The assumption is run. When you diverge from the model, uh, let's say stairs or hiking, you're no longer running. 
So you don't really fit the model very well. And so right. now the measurement becomes a little skewed. Right. So in an ultra, there would be moments where you certainly could not rely on the power and you need to be a little more heads up as to when those moments might be. Right. Yeah. So with an ultra, um, I run ultra marathons um, and coach a lot of ultra marathon runners. I'm going to use heart rate as the primary metric in that sense because heart rate is going to be stable and if it is being influenced by all these other um, factors like heat and humidity, then that is important within an ultra. You mm-hmm. are going to need to make changes in response to that. Um, and so then you've got power after heart rate to then monitor your, I guess, that physiological effort. Because if you are if you um, want to be running at yes, 70 to 80% of your threshold, your power threshold, and your heart rate's way high, then you shouldn't be doing that because right. you need to, you need Heat to run for or something hours. is affecting, yeah, the, yeah. And um, on the, on the converse, if you're, if you're running um, 70 to 80% and your heart rate's, you know, super low, 130 and your threshold's 180, then awesome. It is a real dynamic between, between the two. And because ultra running uh, with a flat road or trail ultra running is such that continuous constant effort and it's steady state we can more reliably use heart rate to gauge our effort and then on a secondary metric we can use the power and then pace as well but once you get into a really technical trail you know where you got a lot of switchbacks you got a lot of rocks so you got to be mindful of your foot placement you're going to have quite a high metabolic output, right? But actually, the if we call it the mechanical output um, that the accelerometers are, move, are measuring, like your displacement, is really low, right? It it looks like you're just not moving very fast. But we know if you're trying to run across roots and that are wet and slippery, right. there's going to be a lot of upper body movement and a lot of, um, you know synergistic muscles operating and so then your heart rate's high and elevated right. and so that's where that metric's going to be valuable right and so so yeah that's where power is well i guess it's not helpful and what about the downhill is it equally is it is it also um not as accurate on steep downhills or is it more accurate you know what are your what's your experience there like trailing, trail running. Yeah. So it's going to look like you're putting out um, a low power, which is correlated to like a low metabolic power because you're running downhill. But uh-huh. actually the mechanical power, the mechanical loading on your legs is really high. Right. Because, you know, we all know if yeah. we've gone hiking or pounding, if we've done running downhill running, we've done a trail race or just a hilly race, we feel it, you know, everyone Oh feels, yeah, quads. Oh yeah, man. Um, from the eccentric <laughs> loading, and so yep. in that sense, yeah, the mechanical loading is really high, but it's going to measure as really low because okay. the actual force you're putting, like propulsive force you're putting out, is really low. Right. Yeah, it's actually the impact so it's going to underrepresent really the 
the the forces that you're experiencing. Yeah, so it's going to accurately represent your metabolic output on downhill running, which is low. Right. But underrepresent your mechanical output, which is high. Muscular, yeah, your muscular kind of pounding. Yeah, yeah. So your eccentric right. muscle loading. And and so in marathon, if it's a pure road marathon, well, you just mentioned for ultras, you know, you're primarily looking at heart rate and then having that power as a secondary. Um, is that the same or can you rely more on power in a pure road marathon that doesn't have massive, you know, climb in it? Um, well, yeah, even, even if it has a massive climb, anything on the road, you can really rely on it. And okay. the fact that you're in a road marathon, you're running downhill, you just have to run down the hill, you know, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. you probably in a marathon, you could gauge your effort running down the hill. You shouldn't be kind of chasing any numbers per se. Um, mm-hmm. You should hopefully have some internal barometer as to your effort. And yeah, so I ran a, we have um, in Rotorua, we have a pretty iconic marathon here, which goes around the lake. Um, it's almost exactly a marathon to go around the lake. There's just one oh, wow. little out and back. So it's, yep. it's, it's pretty amazing, but it's really hilly. Hmm. And uh, I ran that completely off of power. Um well, and high rate, like I had to, dub, you know, check myself. Uh-huh. Um, I was keeping an eye on on that, but I just, yeah, I just used, I just used power, and it was, yeah, it's liberating. A lot of people say that as well. It's liberating because <laughs> you don't, right, right. It's objective, right, and it cuts through your 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 workout courses. It doesn't really matter what course you're running today, because the 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 power number is independent. It it doesn't rely on the course profile. Whereas if you're going off pace, you're like, well, this is a little harder course. So I got to adjust my pace, you know? And so the power just kind of cuts through all of that, um, which is nice. You know, if, if someone's just getting into, uh, running with power, what do you, what do you suggest? Uh, are you having them do a a 5k, a 10k, a 45 minute test? No test at all. Just gather the data. Like what's your advice for someone getting started with, with running with power? Yeah. Just first of all, just start, um, <laughs> do it. <laughs> just, yeah. Put it on your, put it on your watch screen. So, you know, you'll have, um, whatever you normally have on your screen and mm-hmm. yeah, in the first instance, get, get power on there. So you can see, cause you're going to be generally tracking something, heart rate or pace. And now you're going to have that power number alongside your, your heart rate or pace. And so now when you're running your, you know, your standard one hour, 10 K, whatever, six mile loop, you can have a look and, and see how your power, how your power varies against what you normally run that loop in and, and how constant it is. And, and that's just going to start to uh, give you an indication of what power is doing and how you're running and how it correlates to pace. Mm-hmm. And then for the testing, uh, like if you have a stride, they, they have a uh, auto calculator based mm-hmm. off of, you know, just a power duration curve. Um, mm-hmm. But I recommend uh, a 1K uh, all out. Um, okay. So this is my, I, yep. um, my tests. So like the Dr. Will O'Connor method, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've got a calculator on my website. But it's um, your standard kind of uh, critical power test. So one one kilometer all out and mm-hmm. then uh, a five kilometer best effort. Okay. And what's good about this and why I set it up 
uh, differently to say a 20 minute test or a 40 minute um, or a 10k or a three and nine minute um, like stride has is that one it's best effort and it's power so the time doesn't actually matter <laughs> um, but using a distance means that you're going to be motivated to try and get a really good time mm-hmm. right if I said you know in cycling go, go, go 15 minutes yeah yeah, like in cycling, you can go 20 minute and you know, everyone knows the 20 minute test or the eight minute test. People love it. Um, but in running, you don't do that. Distance, yep. You yep. you do distance always. Yep. Um, so to say 1K, you're like, yeah, I can do that. I can go all out for, you know, three, four minutes. Cool. I, I know that in my head. It's going to count down on my watch, can put in a structured workout, all good, or do it at an athletics track. And then 5K, same thing, you know okay, 5K, I know how to pace myself for this. I know how to go all out. Whereas if I said do 20 minutes, you know, I can do 5K in in around 15 minutes. And so for me to go 20 minutes all out, that's very different than right. someone who does 5K in 25 minutes. While I've said distance, the distance doesn't actually matter. It's just power over time because that's what mm-hmm. we're, that's going to establish your critical power curve. Um, and so a lot of the cyclists who are triathletes, cyclists who are listening to this, they'll understand all of that. You know, that, that makes total sense. Like, oh yeah, I do. I always do, you know, two, five minute and a, and a 15 or a 20 minute to get my curve. Um, but for runners, this is, this is new territory. Right. And then to establish the zones, what are you recommending there then? Uh, I, I just use, um, Jim Vance's zones, which are built into okay. training peaks and, okay. Oh man, yeah. You you guys have got you know, you know zones, right? Everyone has their own. <laughs> Everybody's got their own. So just w- wondering what you're what you follow and prescribe and number of zones and Yep. So yeah, I, I love seven. I like seven zones. Um so because mm-hmm. they're your dad's zones, right? The seven the yep. Joe. Yep. Friel's ones. Yep. So that's um, you know, he's got five A B C, but whatever, yep. six, seven. Right. Five, right. six, seven, same thing. Um, yeah, I really like seven, seven zones. And Jim Vance has got seven, and and they're your standard, you know, seven where four is around your threshold, five mm-hmm. is kind of above threshold, six kind of VO two max, I guess, and then seven's neuromuscular. Um, yep. And so yeah, you do do my test, do the one k, five k, put in the calculator, figure it out, put it in, put in training peaks or um, cause it's, it's built in. So that'll auto populate your zones and, and then you're good to go. Super. And you have training plans, right? On training peaks that are some power base that people can start to check out. Yep, definitely. Um, so yeah, just Dr. Will O'Connor training peaks. I, I figure you might link to it. Otherwise I'm on there and I've just been working, uh, with, uh, a young kid and we, uh, we're about to release, uh, about, 200 training plans um i've completely recreated all of my training plans which is going to go alongside um the book i'm writing with my wife uh who is also a phd sports scientist and ex-professional cyclist um and and what's the book on uh well the first book is going to be run power so okay really uh an introductory reference text for everyone to to um to use because the amount of people i've coached with power and they're still they want to tell their friends and they listen to my podcast or other podcasts I've been on like this one. They're, oh yeah, I get it. But they need that 
either a training plan or the book to go alongside yeah, it. And so reference, yep. So that's going to be the first ebook, and then we will develop the the greater kind of training for the twenty first century. Um, and that's integrating things like running power, like training peaks, like um, you know all these software integrations, structured workouts, like all of the stuff that has been introduced in the last kind of five years that just never existed before. And, right. um, and putting my, you know, PhD sports science lens on it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So if you're interested to go to training peaks, go to the uh, training plan store, look up Will O'Connor and your website is drwilloconnor.com. Correct. That's it. Yep. Super simple. Awesome. Yeah. And then you and Matt Miller have a podcast. What's yeah. that? That's the Performance Advantage podcast. And so we just, we talk sports science. Um, we just, uh, yeah, we put our, our sports science lens on a whole different range of topics and sports. And we get a lot of experts on, you know, we just uh, we just had on the, the chemical supply company that manufactured PBEX foam, which is the foam ZoomX. If you know running shoes, you know the Vaporfly or AlphaFly. Yeah. Right. The, the impetus for this new wave of world records. Um, so we just had them on to talk about the technology that has gone into changing wow. the face of running. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. I've also seen that in the Olympics, like the technology that goes into the track, every single Olympics, they try and make the track faster. And that's just something I never thought about. <laughs> so that plus your running shoe technology, we're going to see, uh, you know, world records keep falling. Yeah, we've well, seen it on the um, uh, cycling. New Zealand's big into track cycling, and um, yeah. world records are falling there. And yeah, you just you just think they're going to stop, you know? Like that's the, that's the limit. And then yeah. skin suits, positioning, three right. D printing handlebars that fit exactly to your you know your yeah. physiology or like your your makeup. It's just and the time then just a few more just a few more split seconds there and a few more there and the um. I know the uh, the four hundred meter hurdler. Oh, that was yep. incredible. Yeah, the well, the women, the top two women, both broke the world previous world record. Yeah, which was awesome to see. Yeah, so it's awesome. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much for all the great advice. Um, look for Dr. Will O'Connor's training plans book to come. Sounds like it. That's going to be awesome to read. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Yep. So if um, we have a running power course that Matt and I okay. put together oh, yeah. as well on our website. So right. if you, yeah, we kind of, you know, it's all broken up into a course, like online course, right? Just yep. to, to help you Master learn class. and understand and apply within Training Peaks how to, yeah, get, get yourself all set up. Yep. Masterclass. Super cool. Thank you so much again. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. <laughs>